but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> so, it's almost Christmas here in the... Well, I guess almost Christmas everywhere. Christmas is not one of those holidays that funny, varies. Funny how that works. Well, no, you know, I try and be sensitive to the fact that some holidays, for example, Thanksgiving, happens on different days in different places in the world, Canada, for example. Um, but Christmas is not one of those. It's almost Christmas. Um, and uh, Santa is making appearances in various places. And I came across this picture of Santa uh, making an appearance uh, at, uh, uh, let's see now, where was he making this appearance? Uh, this is from GA News's website. Uh, and, uh, oh, it's related to the Hiller Museum in, Cal- out in my old stomping ground in San Carlos, California. Um and so uh, I don't know if you guys are looking at this picture, but Santa is arriving um, in this helicopter, um, this Enstrom, Enstrom helicopter. And I took note of the fact that Santa is sitting in the, in the picture we're looking at, and it's not mirror reversed because the tail number is reading correctly. Santa is sitting in the right seat of this helicopter, all right? And the right seat on a helicopter is typically the seat that the pilot in command, the pilot flying, sits in. And uh, and I and I first I thought that's weird. Why Santa? Because Santa clear. I mean, are they really trying to tell us that Santa's flying this helicopter? I mean, on, on any way you look at it, I doubt Santa is flying this helicopter. And then I remembered something. Do you know what I'm talking about here? All right. First of all, do we agree that generally speaking, helicopters are piloted from the from the right seat? Correct. Um, it's my understanding that um, traditionally Bell helicopters, well, let me put it another way, Bell helicopters started that trend, mm-hmm. but it's by no means universal. And, and my, my web search agrees with that, that it's not universal. Uh, my sense is that it is pretty common, all right, um, but not, not universal. Um, and yeah, Enstrom helicopters are in fact one of the brand of helicopter where the pilot flying flies routinely in the right seat. And uh, so, uh, and my research, I thought Enstrom was really, really an exception. And my research leads me to believe that it's not a total exception. Um, it's, um, you know, it's not 50-50, but, uh, um, but Enstrom is... Uh, that surprised is, me. It would, be, it would surprise me if Santa was actually flying the helicopter because... My understanding was he was only type rated in reindeer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so but this he, morning he I, was the first short takeoff and landing champ. Oh yeah. Well, there you go. Because oh, yeah, when you can get off a roof and land on a roof, maybe that's a short. Yeah. Did you operation. see? All right. So this is not aviation. Maybe we'll say I'll I'll tease this and then we'll talk about it in the after show. Have you seen the backlash? So the legendary Christmas um, animation, the the one about the little kid who wants to be a dentist and Rudolph the Red nosed Reindeer is his pal and, and whatnot. All right. Um, yeah. And it and it and it as it does most years, it ran on TV recently. All right. And the Twitterverse went a little nuts about this because apparently it is filled with all kinds of not no longer acceptable memes and, and behaviors and, and actions and, and whatnot. It's really, this, really is bad. This the, the Charlie Brown Christmas? No, or, no, 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 no. The, the, uh, the sort of claymation one, um, that has Rudolph, um, the, 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 the Island of misfit toys and the, uh, the incredible oh, bumble yeah. and the, um, I mean, Burl lives and, and, and that one. All right. And, uh, right, Burl's, Burl lives is the voice of Frosty. 
Right. He's the snowman slash navi- nar- navi- navigator, narrator, narrator, <laughs> narrator of the uh, of the piece. Anyways, uh, the Twitterverse, the uh, social media went a little nuts uh, criticizing this. Apparently, it's filled with all kinds of memes that are no longer considered acceptable. Huh. Um, but uh, anyways, yeah, uh, so man, social media needs to grow up. Yeah. Well, I don't know. The world is getting better in many ways, but sometimes better conflicts with things that we always thought were okay and maybe aren't. That's my view on it anyways. Um, I forget how I got into this. Let's see now. Uh, Santa, uh, reindeers, sleigh. Anyways, um, I was curious. So this morning I was doing research on this, just trying to kind of prepare my thoughts on it. And it got me to wondering why did the early helicopters have the pilot in the right seat as opposed to aircraft which is typically the left seat uh, fixed wing that is um, the, the, the left seat um, I, I gave you guys a link to one compelling explanation that I thought was interesting um, and it had to do with the fact that um, that that in a helicopter especially you need to keep your hand on that um, I want to call it the the control stick. It's got a particular name in a helicopter. What is it? The cyclic, I guess. Cyclic, cyclic, cyclic. You can't let you can't routinely let that go in a helicopter. Um, and um, because the pilot needs to also occasionally reach to to uh, instruments and devices on the center panel, um, it made more sense to have the um, the right hand touching the. Uh, Anyway, that doesn't make sense because you could do it the other way around. It also it also goes to the question of. I remember when I first. I'm really babbling here. Somebody throw some water on me or something here. All right, something, well, something. You, you control the vertical. You control the horizontal. <laughs> well, so. but you guys can, can jump in here. And, you know, <laughs> a little intervention. A little intervention wouldn't be out of the question. All right. Um, I have a very, very little time, a few hours um, in aircraft with, um, with a control stick as opposed to a control yoke, all right? Um, and when I first started flying in a couple of airplanes that had a control stick, I had it in my head that the proper way to fly a control stick is with your right hand, all right? Um, and I'd read this in a couple of different places, having to do with tail draggers and having to do with various military aircraft. I had it in my head that the right, the right hand is the one that's on the stick, and the left hand goes to the throttle. And, and thus, most military aircraft have the throttle there on the left hand. All right. So now I'm flying this. Uh, the first time I did this, it was in the Gobosh. Remember the Gobosh? The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the, apparently, it doesn't exist as a Gobosh anymore. It's like many of these um, early LSAs has been been um, rebranded back to its original, um, I believe in this case, Scandinavian, Scandinavian roots. Um, but anyways, it's uh, um, so it, I, I'm sitting in the left seat wanting to use my right hand on the control stick, but typically the throttle is in the center panel. Well, in the Gobosh, they actually put a, a, a second throttle on the left so that you could control the throttle with your left hand. And I thought, okay, this is perfect. This is exactly what I need. Right hand on the stick, left hand on the throttle, fly the airplane. The problem is that whenever you need to touch anything else on the center panel, like, you know, I don't know what, mixture or radios or, or whatever, all right, you had to switch hands to the stick all right, and then do your thing, and then go back. And it was always this hand-changing thing. It was a pain in the neck. All right, um, and so I eventually, flying those airplanes, decided 
forget this right hand on the stick thing. I'm just going to fly the airplane with my left hand on the stick, and that works just fine. Um, and uh, but that, uh, that's the way I always fly. Yeah, um, left-handed. So I want to say that the helicopter you fly with your right hand on the stick and your left hand on the on the collective. Collective. Thank you, Jim. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, um, which also puts you in a position where where you can reach the controls with your left hand, which is a little bit more flexible, you know, freer to let go. Um, another thing I thought, saw this morning, though, also talked to the fact that that um, if you're flying from the left seat, a helicopter, um, and in the case of a helicopter, whether or not you're flying from the right or the left seat, apparently the collective is also on, always on your left hand, and it's your right hand that's always on the, on the cyclic. Um, and what they were saying was that in some helicopters, particularly ones that didn't have very much of a door or any door at all, um, it would put your left hand in the prop wash um, and would get cold in some situations. Rotor wash. Excuse me, rotor wash. Yes, okay. Okay, so <laughs> anyways... Um, we do have a handful of... Uh, I heard from Turbo the other day, one of our helicopter oh, really? listeners. Yeah, Turbo calls me out of the blue. Um, and uh, I was... This is, well, it's about two, three weeks ago. I was still at Lookout Point. But uh, my phone rings, and I can see on my phone it's Turbo. I, I call him and say hi. And, and he, for some reason... Oh, you know what it was? He and his wife... So he, he has two homes. He has a home in Connecticut, and he has a home in Florida. Um, and this is the time of year when they're getting ready to do their migration. And so they were starting one of their drives south um, to go down to their southern home. And uh, apparently they were listening to the podcast in the car as they drove, right? And and Turbo, it almost sounds like he was showing off for his wife because he said, and she listens too apparently. I don't know if she's a pilot, but apparently she listens and gets some level of enjoyment or amusement out of what we do. Um, and so uh, he, he apparently turned her in the car and said, I could call him and get him on the phone right now. And she goes, no way. She, he says, yeah, watch. And so he picked up his phone and called me, and, and, and he got me, and we talked for a while, and he was telling me about how uh, they're, you know, apparently it's a multi-step process, um, relocating the uh, the turbo household to Florida between cars and household goods and, and aircraft, because they have two. They have the helicopter and the uh, RV. Um, and uh, anyways, oh, this is just the episode title is going to be something like, but I digress. Um <laughs> Um, or you know, or or oh, or now that's a first. <laughs> yeah, right. Or distracted again, um, and uh, yeah, we we're going to hear we from. We haven't had any phones melt yet either. We so. have, uh, we have a, we have a handful, if you will, a handful of helicopter pilots um, who are part of our listening audience, and uh, and yeah, I'm at sure least that, until I hear this episode. <laughs> yeah, and they're going to. Uh, uh, hopefully, they will. They will check in and uh, and set us straight about the whole subject of I don't even know what now. Um, so. I don't know. We've beat this to death. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson. Hodgson can't even say my own name. Hodgson, coming to you from uh, the banks of the of the ever industrious Cochico River in Dover, New Hampshire, uh, the new UCAP World Headquarters, uh, and uh, talking here to my uh, two good friends in our virtual hangar. Uh, and uh, let's see now. One of those people out there is uh, from uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, uh, Jeb Burnside. How you doing, Jeb? I'm fine. D- did you um, get the lo- local municipality to 
to uh, anti up to move your to move our world headquarters like <laughs> all, Google and yeah all sorts of tax benefits and, and yeah, oh yeah and sure yeah, sure good yeah. good I, I look forward to seeing that in my paycheck <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, back with my train noise in the background and uh, whatnot so good. anyways how you good. doing it's raining down there it's this raining morning. down there it's it's showery particip- precipitation. Uh, uh, here today, um, but I mean, to the point where you cho- you 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 thought to warn us a couple hours ago that uh, it might be loud. It um, might be loud. Yeah, the, I've got a, a, a what do you call it? Skylight. Thank you. A skylight in my uh, hallway above the the office where I do this from. And in when it's raining heavily, it doesn't really have to rain all that heavily, but it, it there's a drumming noise, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it kind of permeates. It drowns out the television or the radio or whatever. And uh, I, did, I did send you an early morning email saying, oops, you know, this may or may not work today. But right now we're kind of in, kind of a, in a lull. Mm-hmm. Um, according to uh, the weather authorities, so uh, who knows? This might actually work. Yeah, yeah, and I can I can attest to the fact that yeah, the loud the noise on the skylight and on the roof in general is very noticeable. I like it; it's a nice sound, but it might interfere with the the podcast recording. Although yes. I don't think so. We'll see. Well, it's not anyways. so far. Yeah. Anyways. And also here in the virtual hangar, my other good friend, um, not from the air capital of the world today, uh, off visiting family and friends in uh, Indiana, Dave Higdon. Hi, David. What's going on with you? Uh, not a lot. Uh, I'm calling this a week of vacation, by and large, and doing my damnedest to do no work. I, I, now I was going to ask you about this. Outstanding. Yes, it, that is outstanding, because you're a busy guy, and uh, maybe sometimes, well, I don't know if too busy makes any sense, but uh, yeah. So, so you really are vacationing, just visiting your family and your friends and uh, and whatnot out there. Yeah, I'm Did, staying with my long time my long time uh, buddy Tom. We used to mm-hmm. build motorcycles together. We still ride together when we get the chance. Uh, seeing the kids, the grandkids, and some high school buddies, uh, and you know, little after work or I mean after hours uh, misbehaving uh, when we can. So uh, no, not you, David. <laughs> I'm shocked. That, that, shocked. That, that, confess i did do one small piece of work i filed my weekly blog with Outbuyer magazine on tuesday but uh, i already had the topic picked out and notes roughed in before i packed the computer away mm-hmm. when i was readying to leave wichita so it, it it was like not even a speed bump on the road to uh total r&r for the week mm-hmm. yeah um well, have fun. I, I presume it's not motorcycle weather up there right now, huh? Is it, well, is it? my buddy Tom bought his first ever brand new motorcycle back in October. Ooh, really? Bought yeah. this really sharp uh, 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 Indian chief of uh, total black. It's gorgeous. And uh, Tom's been riding his butt off. He got it in October. He's already got about 2,500 miles on it. Uh, he was out last night. If it's over 45 for him, he'll go out and throw on some chaps and his jacket and get a you know get 20 or 30 miles in. And then when it drops below 35, he makes his way back here. So uh, a little chilly for my uh, riding habits, but mm-hmm. uh, I just visit kids or do something else while he's out and 
having a good time. Nice. Very nice. I know you enjoy that trip. You've been doing it ever since we've been doing the podcast. You always, we often do an episode this time of year with you from, from Indiana. So, uh, cool. I'm glad you had a chance to do that. Well, I'm meeting a couple of Hoosier friends of mine from uh, the aviation business this afternoon. So, uh, old friend Steve Fuschelberger is yeah. uh, headed this way from Columbus. And uh, so we'll get together and have a bite. Uh, Tell Steve early hello for me also, please. I'll do that. Yeah. Hoosier would be an Indiana person. Is that what a Hoosier is? Yep. Okay. Because you're right there on the river, right? Right across from, from Louisville, right? Yep. Now, yeah. and, I, and I shouldn't have said that. Say the name of that city that's across the river that has the racetrack. Louisville. Louisville. Okay. Yeah. Louisville. Yeah. I've seen. I, I like. I like Louisville. I enjoy visiting Louisville. Um, and uh, but one of the things that that, that um, amuses me, if you will, um, is the pronunciation of the name of the town. And uh, um, there was. Well, you, a, I remember. You get similar I, permutations with between Louisville, Nashville, Knoxville. Uh, you know, it's V U L way it comes out of our mouth. Louisville, right? Yeah. But 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 it's but you know it's spelled. To try and be very very phonetic would be Louisville, um, and it's Louisville or Louisville. I remember seeing a sign. It was a poster in the gift shop of the hotel that had about six different phonetic pronunciations that you know, and none of them involved an s sound in the middle. All right, I mean it was just like Louisville. Well, in its, in its yeah. original incarnation, it was Louisville because it was named after a French king, mm-hmm. yep. King Louis. So nobody over there called him Louis. Yeah, <laughs> only once if they did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only once. How do you like your neck severed, yeah. please? Yeah, but you grew up across the river there in uh, <laughs> Jeffersonville, Indiana. Jeffersonville, Indiana. Yeah, and platted, uh, just, uh, platted by and named after a guy named Thomas Jefferson. Oh, really? Yeah. He seems familiar. So for some, I've heard of him. Yeah, no, I, I didn't realize that was the connection. I just yeah, okay, cool. Cool. Okay. All right. We really are going to talk about aviation. Um, I do want to do one quick bit of podcast business here real quickly, um, and that is to kind of point out something and and renew an apology. For, for, For many episodes now, we've been struggling with a technical problem that involved the sound quality of one of our microphones. Um, and uh, and we had a hard time trying to figure it. it took us a long time to really figure this out and we developed all kinds of workarounds for how to clean up the noise um, and uh, um, I, I just want to thank our listeners for being for the most part pretty patient about it um, and I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that we figured it out and and the noise is gone it sounds way better to my ear and time will tell when we see the the uh, the uh, um, post-production um, sound waves but uh, I, I just want to let people know that we we hadn't we weren't totally cavalier about that noise we just it was a stumper and uh, we've, we I think we finally figured it out seemed, so, seemed to have traced it to a bad USB cable it, it, did, did you do more research after that no, to, to, no. to isolate the cable no. uh, so a cable or certainly the USB connection yeah whether whether it was the cable or the particular ports or something like that but uh, um, it it sounds dramatically more clean now than it has in quite some time so thank you to our listeners for being patient thank you to our listeners who made suggestions and uh, knock on wood, uh, maybe we're okay now. Ouch. 
Anyways, um, one quick follow-up here. Uh, we, uh, uh, I, I think it was the last episode of the episode before, we ta- I talked about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, preparing for winter flying, and, and even though you're in a heated airplane, make sure you... I told the story about wanting to stash my winter coat in my car, and my CFI set me straight saying, um, make sure you... No, you want to take the coat, even if you put it in the back, because you might need that coat if you had to land out. Um, and, and I heard from a couple of listeners that had variations on this, but uh, listener Bob stinger um on twitter um uh, put it in an interesting way which kind of applies more than just winter time he said uh never go flying in clothing you aren't prepared to walk home in and uh, i think that's a good i liked that that was kind of a nice uh, generalized way you know because it, it would also uh, you know apply to don't go flying necessarily in sandals you know or bare feet you know or 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 whatever you know so uh Man, you're taking all the fun out of flying <laughs> know, in Florida. Right? <laughs> um, um, yeah, well, I mean, you can go fly. Just make sure you throw them in the back, I guess, is what I'm saying here. But uh, um, So uh, I, I just thought that was an interesting way to put it. Don't, you know, you, be prepared to walk home if you need to. Um, so, uh, you know. We could one day we'll we'll talk more about emergency kits and and, and whatnot, but uh, or emergency, you know, uh, supplies. So, anyways, what else we got here? I got a bunch of things that I didn't really put in any particular order. Let's see now, Dave. You know, David, I couldn't even figure out what NMAX stands for. This is from the uh, the callback issue, apparently. And you said a lot of sites into NMAC. What's NMAC? Near mid air collision. Ah, okay. Okay. And it's generally pronounced NMAC. NMAC. Wait a minute. N- Ne- okay, NEMAC. All right. Not not exclusively, but no, no, okay. that, I hear it that way more often. Than All right. NEMAC. NEMAC. A- any particular uh, advice from this callback on the subject? or Pay attention. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 that was pretty much the root of the, uh, is the root of that callback, is the pilot's responsibility for avoiding collid- mid-air collisions. And the FAA has even been pushing some stuff on that. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and uh See and avoid. See and avoid, and seeing means moving your head around a lot uh, and learning some tricks to uh, recognize what that spot getting bigger in that one place in your windshield means that you all are on a collision course. Mm -hmm. If it ain't moving in a windshield, you you all are headed together. Right. Yeah. And uh, no, exactly right. Exactly right. Um, Our... our are mid-airs getting better or worse? Or maybe this is a Jeb question. I don't know. Um, well, the, why, why did it come up in, in uh, callback? Well, the FAA started to focus on it, uh, and, and callback is a reflection of reports pilots and controllers file with the uh, uh, NASA uh, Aviation Safety Reporting System. And uh, callback noted that there had been 42 mid-air collisions between, what was it, 2009 and 2013, which doesn't sound a lot, but for, for those 42 people, that was the uh, culmination of a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were you going to jump in there with something? Well, I was going to only point out that today happens to be the day that uh, London's Gatwick Airport was shut down for several hours Yeah. after apparently multiple sightings of what was termed a large drone in the area, or at least one large mm-hmm. drone, mm-hmm. Uh, large being a relative term, of course. Um, so, 
uh, the punchline, and, and, and thanks, thank you, David, for, for highlighting this. The punchline is um, uh, mid-air collisions can happen anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. Even even in you know quote controlled airspace, um, typically, um, although perhaps counterintuitively, mid-air collisions occur most frequently near an airport mm-hmm. in good VFR. Right. It, it, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I mean, near an airport because one. That's where the, I don't, that's where the money is. Yeah, that's right. You know, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the bank Will, robber Willie guy. Willie Sutton. That's where Willie the money Sutton. is. That's yeah. where the money is. Yeah. Right. That's, that's where, where the airplanes. Air, that's where the airplanes are. Yeah. Uh, good weather because that's when everybody goes flying. So yeah. Uh, um, just be careful out there. Yeah. Yeah. So and, it, uh, and it, there's some good lessons in the. Uh, in the callback, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of being informative on w- what happened to other people and giving you an opportunity to uh, make that, to own that information so that you don't become another callback right in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep your eyes open. Keep your head on swivel. Um, exactly. And, uh, you know, um, how, how, you know. So here's an interesting question that just popped into my head, um, and uh, I will I will reference the episode 400 that we recorded, Jeb, in your airplane uh-huh. uh, flying around Florida, um, and uh, um, to what extent do we rely on our passengers to help us keep our eyes open? Um, Is that a good idea? I, I always ask them to, mm-hmm. you know, point something out if you see it, all right, and... and uh, um, but statistically, is that a good idea? Does that really help? Statistically, uh, we're all going to die. Um, Eventually, st- yeah. St- statistically, um, maybe is the wrong way to think about it. Um, typically, I will always, you know, especially to to, um, I always expect it. Shall I shall I say of, of pilot rated passengers, aviation knowledgeable passengers. Um, Non, or let's call them civilians, per for example, um, I will always say, "Look, you know, I, I might miss something. You know, I'm not, I'm not infallible, although I try to, you know, make people think I am." So while you're looking out the window, look for airplanes. If you see one, uh, don't scream your head off and say, "Oh my God, we're going to die!" Just kind of, you know, tap me on the shoulder or get my attention and say, "By the way, there's, you know, traffic at, you know." Uh, Three o'clock and and um, uh, mm-hmm. fifty feet or something, you know. But yeah, you, you, passengers can certainly help out the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't take. Uh, it's not rocket science. It doesn't take great skills. Um, so that's why you know that's what I try to do. Um, others, and, and you know, uh, it may be that. Um, You've got some talkative passengers, and you know all you want to do is hit the mute button. Um, but at least you can get them trying to do something, uh, you know, make, make, yeah. pay their or pay their way, or, or make them right. uh, work worth their freight. Worth right. Their Which brings us around to episode four hundred. Yeah, well, that's a whole other topic. But <laughs> yeah, to this yeah. day, yeah. amazing. <laughs> I, I, you know, I thought we were being so good at the time. I thought we were doing a good job at at you know shutting up when we needed to shut up and and whatnot. And it was only in listening to it in post production and and listening to it a couple times since. And I keep hearing instances where you clearly muted us because you were busy, all right? Uh, 
I give you a lot of credit for being able to tolerate that environment and uh, um, because there were clearly calls that we didn't hear. We just kept talking over. And uh, and I, I heard you go silent a couple of different times. And I'm thinking, oh, there's an example. He muted us right there. He isolated us right there. And uh, he's off doing his thing. And uh, so well, I guess that was what it made me think of 400 in, in this context, um, is that there's, the, the, you know, I mean, when does the passenger helping you watch for traffic become a, a, a distraction in the cockpit? Um, and uh, it's not... You know, uh, the, the well, coming back from Mexico some years ago, uh-huh. yeah, we'd uh, we'd left Via Hermosa, which is at the bottom of the Bay of Campeche, uh, on the west side of the Yucatan, and we'd been flying all day, uh, and we're getting into the Dallas uh, Fort Worth airspace. We're headed to Addison Airport, and the, the you know the helpful controller says, 73 Papa, I can give you." Two one of two ways into Addison. I can take you way east around the Love Field airspace, or if you're really comfortable with traffic, I can take you right over the top. And it, by the way, it's in the middle of the Southwest Push. Well, I had two fairly experienced passenger uh, people with me, and I said, okay, guys, everybody's eyes on a swivel. We're going to see a lot of airplanes. Just point them out. And it dawned on me that giving them a briefing about this at the beginning of the trip, you know, use hands on the clock, high or low, uh, noon, three, six, nine, twelve, and it, it they stayed busy. They mm-hmm. stayed busy because we had traffic taking off below us, traffic passing under us, traffic ab- above us, headed in the opposite direction. Uh, I think in the uh, six or seven minutes it took us to transit the love field airspace they called out 13 13 or 14 airplanes mm-hmm. almost all of them southwest 737s but we're crossing and passing one another with a 500 foot clearance which makes those puppies look enormous yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so, so it's anyways. a good thing to brief your passengers on particularly passengers that have never been up before yeah yeah Jeb, did you have one final thought on this? Or? No, I, I um, was basically going to say something similar to what Dave just said. So, Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yep. Be careful out there. Yeah. This is a weird airplane. This is uh, something else I found on Twitter. I don't recall that this was a listener. This is just an item that I happened to come across on Twitter from a Twitter uh, user called Mark Lane Biz. Mark, a, per- a person named Mark Lane, apparently. Um, this... Uh, a, a, he has a little video clip of an airplane that I'll try and describe. But uh, so it's a big airliner class, you know, style, size airplane called a Bristol Brabazon, Brabat, something like that. B R A B A Z O N. So big um, metal airplane, um, a la airliner, but has a really interesting uh, shape. Um, first of all, it's hard to tell the the scale from the video but it, it's a pretty big airplane um it's got a uh a, a, the fuselage that comes to more of a point than i would normally expect uh it's got four four propeller engines is it four or eight now i'm looking at it's it four. it looks it's four propeller uh, uh engines um that are positioned kind of funny on the wing if you ask me um they seem to be much more inboard much c- closer into the fuselage than i would have expected um 
And uh, this is not a recent video. This is from quite some time ago. Um, and uh, shows it coming in and landing and touching down and rolling out. Um, but it's just an airplane model that I'm not familiar with. Are you guys familiar with this Brabazon? I'd, I'd seen it before, but I, I'm, you know, I'm certainly not an expert. Yeah. I was looking at the Wikipedia entry from it. Um, it says the Bristol Type 167 Brabazon, and I apologize if I'm pronouncing this badly, large propeller-driven airliner was designed by the Bristol Airplane Company to fly transatlantic routes between the United Kingdom and the United States, uh, named after the Brabazon Committee and its chairman, Lord Brabazon of, Lord Brabazon of Tara, uh, who had developed the specification for which the airliner had been designed. Uh, first flight, 1949, retired 53, so it didn't exist for very long. Um, I'm looking for I'm looking for speci- for size specifications. Let's see here. Okay, so uh, wingspan 230 feet, um, and uh, that's, I don't res- know. that's respectable. It sure looks big in the picture in the video, um, and uh, I mean that's just a big wingspan. Um, and also, the vertical tail the the um, is seems very large. Um, in it's certainly in the video, and in looking at this Wikipedia page too. I guess that's the nature of the. I don't know. Why would it need such a big tail? For I mean, um, it's a nose. It's a nose wheel airplane, so it didn't necessarily need it for, you know, directional for, control. If one side of the power um, uh, inches yeah. fail. Well, of course, that's that. And, and would that also play into why the engines are so far inboard on the wings? Absolutely. Uh, you know? Um, Absolutely. And also play into perhaps why it has uh, counter-rotating propellers on each engine. That's what I'm seeing. Okay. okay. Now, I hadn't caught that, but you're absolutely right. Each engine has two propellers. Contra-rotating, I should Contra-rotating, say. right. Yeah. So, uh, but, which I've read is... A concept that's been kind of, you know, de- rejected. Well, Tupolev's uh, done fairly well uh, over they? the years with the TU-95. Uh, apparently, the what I've read, and this is totally an amateur reading of it all, is that the uh, the turbulence and interference between the two blades going in opposite directions is is sufficiently weird that it just makes the extra thrust yeah. and, and 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 balanced torque um, makes it kind of uh, uh, you know it cancels out so to speak. Yeah. Um, um, you know. The 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 Tu ninety five and and it's uh, is a Russian Soviet. Um, four-engine turboprop, um, long-range bomber. Um, it's, I think, the fastest propeller-driven aircraft ever. I think, um, certainly of, of a transport size. Um, it's got four huge turboprop engines. And they're each driving, I don't know, a five or six blade, four, four, five or six blade um, propeller twice. It has mm-hmm. it has contra rotating propellers. It is loud, uh, as uh, according to uh, uh, conventional wisdom. Um, and uh, I, I've I've seen reports where, um, be. Because it's a Soviet bomber, it was used uh, uh, during the Cold War uh, to shadow or to um, 
to fly up close to the U.S. and note the reaction of U.S. Uh, uh, aircraft, uh, and the aircraft would fly up close to it, and they'd wave at each other and, and show pictures of the the month, you know, the the months Playboy centerfold and whatnot, centerfold, and uh, the the crews of the interceptors could hear the airplane, could hear the the T ninety five through. You know, however many feet and and uh, pressurization and headphones and everything they could hear the propellers of this engine of this aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so they say anyway. Um, but uh, and it's still um, it's still in service. It dates from the fifties. Uh, it's it's really kind of an incredible thing. Um, and it's it's a weird looking airplane. It, yeah. Uh, uh, while we're on the topic of weird looking airplanes and rolling back to the British. Um, I happened to, you know, earlier, I don't know, a week or so ago, be doing some clicking. And um, those of you who are aficionados of, of the, uh, the so-called Victory Series or, or uh, of uh, British uh, uh, strategic bombers will know exactly what I'm talking about. There's three bombers that the British developed in the 50s and 60s. Um, in no particular order, the Victor, the Vulcan, and something else I forget. Um all of which are just uh, uh, really um, interesting. Each one of them is, is uh, uh, peculiar, shall we say, or different uh, design characteristics. Um, you can Google V-Series um, bombers and, and um, get some... Uh, yeah, Hanley Page Victor, Vickers Valiant, and then the, um, the Vulcan. Um each of these is just a really weird-looking or, or one-off kind of design. Mm-hmm. Um, talk, is that there's yeah. a yeah there's a warbird that appears at Oshkosh from time to time that has counter-rotating props. Um, I'm wondering if that's an example of one of those. A warbird with counter-rotating props. It sounds like a uh, a British. Um, um, Seaborne fighter. I don't can't tell you. I, Carrier, Carrier born fighter. Really? Now my recollection of, was of an aircraft that was more of a transport size. Um, but, uh, anyways, um, going back for a second to the Bristol 167 Brabazon. So apparently, reading this Wikipedia uh, p- uh, article, there are actually eight engines. Um, so. It's. I'm reading from the Wikipedia entry here. Powered by a total of eight Bristol Centaurus 18-cylinder radial engines. These were the most powerful British-built piston engines available at the time, uh, each being capable of 2,650 horsepower. These engines, which were installed in a unique arrangement of setting each engine in pairs in the wing, instead of using a common crankshaft, the paired engines each had their drive shafts angled towards an enormous central gearbox. They drove a series of eight paired contra-rotating propellers, which were set on four forward-facing nacelles. So that right there makes this a really, really unique airplane. It had four pairs of big engines, each with drive shafts angled to a central gearbox, which drove the propellers. Uh, that's just odd. We're a little bit past running at Lena Peak, I'm sure. 
<laughs> David, you're a bit of our his local historian. Are you familiar with this Brabazon at all? No, not at all. It, it got me thinking about uh, a, uh, a Russian bomber, a Soviet bomber, I guess I should say, from the Cold War era. Uh, the NATO people called it uh, the Bear, I believe, and it had yeah, that's four what, That's what we were talking engines. about, the, 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 uh, the TU-95, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the counter-rotating props on each engine. It's an odd-looking duck. By the way, the 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 Brabazon Wikipedia, it, it, I'm just remembering, it didn't say counter-rotating. It said contra-rotating. Is that a typo, or does that mean something? It means it was written by Brett. <laughs> oh, well, that, no, okay, that's as good an explanation as any. Uh, yeah, so, anyways. Okay, I, I understand the difference. I'm clicking clicking the link here. Um, but yeah, the, the contra rotating basically are the they're on the same basic shaft. Okay, same mm-hmm. um, like the TU ninety five and, and like the the, the Brabazon. Counter rotating is like the Piper Seneca, where you, you got one engine turning in one direction and the other engine turning the other direction. Right. Okay. If that makes any sense? A little bit. Sorry, I'm about to send you a link here. Okay. Let's see now. Send a message. This return. Uh, I believe this is the Oshkosh airplane that I was remembering. Um, it's apparently a... Oh, okay. Well, that's certainly odd. This article is weird. I'm not, the, the name of the aircraft is not jumping out at me here. Let's see now. Ultra, I'm sorry, um, Curtis Wright CW19R, is that what we're looking at? Maybe. The ultra rare, yeah, that's that's the name, that's what the caption is saying, this aircraft is, yeah. So, uh, no, no, which the Google or the, the Wikipedia tells me the CW19 is a single. Uh, hang on. What is oh, that? Oh, Avro Shackleton. Okay. And also something called a Ferry Gannett. That's the one. That's that's and, and Fred Johnson knows all uh, all about the, the Ferry Gannett. He he's done a lot of coverage for Adventure yeah. Today over the years on that. So, uh, but that's the yeah that's the uh, the one I was thinking about that is in fact I think a carrier based. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're having too much fun here. Let's. Uh, what do we got here? I'm sorry. Moving on. Anything else about this? So the Brabazon is an interesting airplane. Uh, eight engines, huh? Okay. Um, and uh, that, that may be bare. I wonder. I wonder if there's any. I can't even imagine there's one of those still flying. That would be cool if there was one airworthy and flying someplace. But anyways, I think there's only one made. So let's just talk for a yeah, second about this yeah. new story that um, um, we probably don't have much to add to, but we ought to mention. So this uh, Aeromexico Boeing 737. You, you mentioned a few minutes ago about how um, uh, London's Gatwick Airport closed for a, a long time yesterday during the day because they believed that there was one or more um, uh, unauthorized drones in the airspace. Um, and out of safety, for safety reasons, they sent all these airplanes off to various places. It apparently caused quite a thing. 
according to reports, about a week ago, um, an Aeromexico Boeing 737 sustained, it, it definitely did sustain serious damage. I've seen pictures of that. Um, the, the, uh, the suspicion is that it collided with a drone while on approach to Tijuana International Airport. Um, have you guys heard anything about this story? Do you know anything? It's, it just seems to be just, kind of a mystery almost. You know, you brought it to our attention a few days ago and, and uh, kind of had our eyes peeled for it. I found another reference that I sent to you, but I don't see that as being... Uh, um, uh, I just don't see it having been widely covered, which kind of gets back to the whole, did this really happen as, as it's supposedly uh, as it supposedly happened I don't know yeah I mean it, it, it appears pretty clear that there was an airplane that had su- suffered some pretty significant looking damage to the nose cone if you will um, and uh, during final approach um, you know it's consistent with examples we've seen because it was that is that that classic I don't know if classic is the right word but uh, um, where they experimented with colliding a, a drone with a with the leading edge of a, of a wing um, and uh, and and the damage that I'm seeing on the pictures is at least somewhat consistent with what they saw in those experiments um, but nobody seems to be definitively saying that it was a drone um, and uh, yeah I've heard some I've heard some folks question how could you be sure it wasn't a goose or something like that and uh, when a when a bird does bird strike damage like that it tends to leave behind some physical evidence of its yeah. presence yeah feathers blood right right so that looked awfully clean to have been wildlife it, it i'll say that i will agree and it also looked like it was a whatever it hit was had some mass to it yeah it, it didn't look like a, a, a store-bought dji or something well, some of the larger DJIs, the, the the test case that they showed videos of a while ago, um, it wasn't a very substantial drone. Yet, you know, it's like it's physics, right? You know, I mean, if if you uh, even a small mass, if it's moving fast enough relative to the thing it's striking, it can do some damage. Yeah, just um, remember how bullets work. They're yeah. small, but they're going like a bat out right, of hell. Right, but. Uh, I'm just a little surprised that no debris from the whatever got hit ended up inside that cone, um, but I, I guess not. And uh, so that's, um, that's another thing that is odd about this whole thing. Uh, there should be, if it did that much damage to the nose cone, you'd think it would do significant damage to the drone and maybe leave a part behind inside. Exactly. Well, that's my point. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so I don't know. I you know drones well anyways be, yeah be, guys people fl- flying drones and I, I'm sort of dabbling in drones these days and um, I'm I'm you know maybe being overly cautious because of these kinds of things and really don't want to do anything out of line um, but but folks who are flying drones I mean it's a fascinating you know pursuit and it's very very valuable obviously drones are doing a lot of really interesting things these days but you gotta be careful jeez why are people flying drones near tijuana airport or near gatwick other than because they're being jerks i puzzles me it's it's not just to speak to the tijuana episode it's not at all clear how close to the airport this drone supposedly was Mm -hmm. um 
all the news reports simply say on approach. Right. Um, so that could mean anything. Um, looking at Gatwick, here it is just after 11 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. Uh, and Gatwick's still closed, apparently, according to my Twitter feed. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, wow. I didn't realize that. I thought a, that had been Gatwick, Gatwick hashtag is showing um, the airport is still shut down. I, it, it, you know, you almost got to wonder if it's not someone being a jerk if it's yeah, someone yeah or this you know is an it's, attack. It's, it's brussels man it's brussels doing all this they're just they're just screwing with them now i don't know about what that means exactly <laughs> ah brussels okay yeah well okay probably not but i get your point yeah um yeah so anyways I, I don't know what to say about this, but it's a thing, and uh, and this this Aeromexico Boeing thirty seven thing. I don't quite understand why we don't have better information on this. I, 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 I you know, I don't know. I don't I quite don't understand either. it. I don't get it. I don't uh, get it. Um, maybe we'll maybe we'll do some research and talk about it next time. Um, next item on the list: FedEx. So uh, Cessna has announced a new aircraft model. Um, which they're calling, sorry, I'm opening the page here, they're calling the, hang on, uh, there's a name to it, and now I've lost it here, where'd it go? Sky Courier. Yes, yes. Uh, the Sky Courier, uh, which looks very much like a caravan, but with tw- twin engines. Yeah. That's sort of my simplif- oversimplification of it. Um, and a new airplane model is always an interesting thing, but it's actually a, there's actually a UCAP trivia reason why I highlighted this story, and I just want to kind of touch on it real quickly here. Do you know, and I've told you this, but you may not remember, do you know what the UCAP connection to the Cessna Caravan the is? Lo- the logo is the Caravan. The logo is the Caravan. Yeah. Very good. Thank yeah. you, yes. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Although, I should show you. I, I was playing around one day. I created two new versions of the UCAP logo, the same form, the same look, all right, as the one we've been using for 12 years, all right, but instead of the silhouette of a of a caravan, I made one that was the silhouette silhouette of a, an Aronka Champ, uh-huh. and I made one that was a silhouette of a uh, Sonics, um, uh, ah. Dave's model Sonics. Uh-huh. Um, and so uh, I was thinking I'd stash those away for for when when it might be more appropriate to uh, to display them. But uh, yeah, so uh, new version of the car. I'm not sure what this little twin. Maybe it just has more carrying power because it's got two engines. Because the caravan's like a you know a real workhorse, right? Oh yeah, yeah for it is. Thirty years now. Yeah. yeah, caravan does what it does very well. Uh, a couple of things it does not do well. Uh, ice is one of them. Yeah, oh, really. Okay, and, and deal with an engine failure is another one. Right, because it's only got one. Because engine. it's only yeah. got the one. Uh, so I, I can certainly see where um, Cessna, FedEx, and other uh, interested parties might be looking at you know kind of an upgrade. Um, I don't. It, it'll be interesting. I, I you know Cessna's. Really now, Textron, and uh, it's unclear to me how committed Textron is to uh, uh, developing new aircraft. Let's just put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah, 
And it doesn't, I don't get the feeling that this airplane is very far along in development. I almost got the feeling that it was kind of like a run this up the flagpole and see, you know. Um, the pictures are very, very casual kinds of pictures yeah. of, of a, a drawing of a potential airplane. I don't know. I, uh, well, they, they announced the Sky Courier. Jiminy, was it early this year or late last year? I, oh, really? I didn't realize it was that long ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And the uh, Sky Courier. Uh, it, it is has a little more cargo volume than the uh, caravan. It also has a, a, a more carrying capacity weight-wise than the caravan. Yeah. yeah. And then there's that whole icing and single-engine performance, which the caravan does well with its single engine, but it's the only engine. Yeah. And yeah. Another thing I always found uh, notable about the caravan was that the gear doesn't retract um and it doesn't on the sky courier either and that's what i was just looking for to see whether that was different okay uh yeah cessna sky courier well that's an interesting looking picture but that looks like a simulation too is it yeah um, i think that's, that's fixed that's gear. yeah that's fixed gear yeah the nose may retract but the mains don't look like they do yeah. um so anyways Anyways, uh, yeah. Well, we'll have to make a. We'll have to get a, uh, a silhouette of, of the Sky Courier and make it part of the uh, UCAP logo, right? And uh, just for completeness' sake, you know. Yeah. Um, we're reaching sort of reaching the end of our allotted time, and I really wanted to spend some time talking about this uh, AOPA's Classic Aircraft Contest. I don't know what makes it a contest, but they did a survey where they asked people for the m- m- favorite or most popular or whatever airplanes of all time, and it's an interesting list, and uh, I'd like to spend some time talking about it. So I'm going to save that maybe for next episode. Um, if anybody's curious, they can do a Google search for um, well, AOPA's Classic Aircraft Contest 2018. Uh, something you wanted to add real quickly, David, or can I move on? Well, you can move on. I'm just going to do a spoiler alert for when we come back to this. Yeah. I'll tell you right up front what my favorite airplane is. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> the one I'm flying. Oh, yeah. Well, there is that. There is that. But, uh, you know, so. Um, two more things here. Uh, one cool, one not cool. All right. There's this this YouTube video of the tandem hang gliding yeah. incident. Yeah. All right. That... Um, so, and I, I'm going to say up front, I have not watched this video, all right? I have not watched this video because it just freaks me out, all right? The, the, uh, the, the idea of the video triggers my, my fear of heights, believe it or not. Um, so this is the inc- incident where um, the hang glider mounted camera shows what was supposed to be a, your, a routine tandem flight between an instructor and a, and a quote-unquote passenger, um, but where somewhere along the line, the passenger failed to be clipped in um, and was basically hanging on with just their, I don't know what, um, and not discovered until after takeoff. And apparently, and I haven't, have you guys watched this video? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. David, describe this video, and I may or may not tune out because it really freaks me out. What, what, what happened here, David? You're the hang gliding guy, so I'm going to let you put you on the hook here, so to speak. Well, when, when we get ready to launch a hang glider as a pilot and as a passenger, there's a step that we all, always should do, we're taught to do, we're trained to do, and that's do a, what we call a hang check. And that is you've clipped a carabiner to the loop on the, on the hang glider, and then you put your weight on it. 
and uh, that 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 step got skipped with the passenger on this thing. Yeah, and the uh, the, you know the uh, the passenger and the pilot just did a remarkable <laughs> a remarkable job of coping with it. But it had to be terrifying. I've seen guys launch after failing to do a hang check, and I've never seen one turn out this well. Mm-hmm. Usually they get 30 or 40 seconds out, and they lose their grip. And, uh, you know, if they're lucky, they're holding the uprights when, when this happens because you have a few seconds there where if you're strong enough you can use the uprights to pull yourself up onto the base tube and then use one hand to hook in but this guy never had that there's no way in the world he's going to get hooked in mm-hmm. and uh, so the pilot's holding on to him with his left hand the passenger's holding on to the base tube with his left hand and holding on to the pilot with his right hand and the pilot's flying it with just one hand mm-hmm. and uh Boy, the farther away they get from the ridge, the farther the fall gets. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he didn't it, fall. He didn't, he didn't fall. He didn't fall. They, they, you know, quote unquote, everybody walked away. Uh, it, it, it was not a pretty landing. But this is one of those cases where anything you can survive is right. is good. Yeah. Yeah. And here we I, go. I'm I'm just about at the end of the video. And they're coming in to, to the field for a landing, and uh, gets right down into the grass and drags his feet. And the the, the the check says coming in hot. Oh hell yeah, you're coming in hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So and, like and I the said, only, I... there he goes, and now he's let's go, the passenger, mm-hmm. and then the. Hang glider pilot starts to get full control of the wing back and does a belly landing. He's got wheels on the base tube, so it won't dig in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, passenger had a, uh, a, a broken wrist; his right arm it required surgery to fix. Uh, but he was released the following afternoon, and uh, presumably he got a refund. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gallo's humor uh, uh, abounds here, but uh, I mean, I'm glad everybody was okay. But I, I can't watch. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch this video one day. But I, my, my fear of heights is such that this is the kind of thing that triggers it. It just freaks me out. To even, even looking at the still, the the little, you know, f- you know, freeze frame, the 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 thumbnail frame of this video, I have, I glance at it and go, no, 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 Sp- scroll, scroll, <laughs> click to a new page, and it, it just well, freaks I like me out. The parting shot. <laughs> I will go hang gliding again, as well. I didn't enjoy the first one. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a good, that's a great line. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Good for good for this person. I uh, I'm glad it all turned out, and it uh, yeah, it wasn't too. Yeah. So, anyways, well, the first time I saw somebody take off without hooking in, uh, it was on what we. Uh, what we euphemistically described as a bunny hill like they have at ski resorts except it was much steeper than bunny hills Mm -hmm. and it was only 600 feet up this hill but the instant you cleared the ramp 
you're 100 feet off the ground, and by the time you get over the landing field, you're still three 350 feet off the ground. And this guy lost his grip about halfway down the slope. Uh, broke an ankle, uh, tore up his knee, went tumbling down. Uh, it made a stark impression on a rookie hang glider pilot. Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine. Do hang gliders use physical checklists, or is it just procedural that you just kind of know the steps? Well, I'll confess, I never used a written checklist because my instructors drilled into me the uh, the process. And, of course, you got to you you have to assemble the wing and put it in flying shape. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't travel full, full wingspan. And they drilled in me that you do these steps in the same order every time so that you mm-hmm. don't miss something. Mm-hmm. And then before you move it to the launch ramp, you uh, get your harness on and you hook it up to the glider. And while it's still sitting on its tail's uh, on the on the tail of the keel, you put weight on that and look it over, and then unhook and move to the ramp. And then when there's somebody there to hold the nose wire, hold it level. Uh, then you do the full out hang check where you go. If you're flying a prone harness, you go prone. Put your feet in the stirrups. Make sure everything fits. If mm-hmm. you're flying supine. Then you know you you lay back like you're in a chaise lounge and make sure that everything is 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 hooked up and and the carabiner is locked and that you've got full range of motion inside the control bar. Um, it, it mm-hmm. just it, seeing that that one time made me so paranoid that I, uh, I I would do two hang checks the one back where I assembled the glider and the one on the ramp. Yeah. And when somebody asked me, why don't you just stay hooked in, moving it from the setup area to the ramp, mm-hmm. uh, explain to them that staying hooked in is uh, a risky thing when you're coming up on a ramp on a windy day. Oh, uh, okay. If you, for some reason or another, let the nose get too high, it can flip the glider over backward. And if you're hooked in, you're taking the ride. Makes sense. So Makes we didn't sense. hook back in until we had our crew, the wire crew as we call them. Uh, some days all it took was somebody on the nose wires to keep it stable until you were ready to run off. Because you're running off on you no wind or very light wind. Mm-hmm. Then there are the days uh, where it's blowing in the teens and you're going to take... You're going to put weight on the on the wing with your first step, and boom, you're airborne. And that usually takes three to four people on the wires, uh, just to help you keep everything in trim and at neutral uh, on, on the lift mm-hmm. until you're ready to punch off. Right. And then you holler clear, and everybody lets go, and you're on your own. And we don't say go. Because go can, on a windy day, sound like no. Yeah, okay. And sometimes a guy gets out there and says, no, <laughs> doing this. <laughs> oh, that My. means go. Let's do it. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, spent a, I spent a lot of time as the, as the guy on the nose wires uh, over the years and uh, learned to focus very tightly on the eyes and the facial expression of the pilot. Mm-hmm. And when the eyes got twice their normal diameter, 
I'd ask, you sure you want to do this right now? <laughs> okay, that's good. That's and, good. You know, some of the guys would be honest and say, yeah, no, I don't think so. And fortunately, they'd shake their head at the same time, and we'd back them off the ramp. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else would come in, and they'd, you know, clear, boom, they're gone. And on a day like that, it's like walking into a moving elevator. One minute, your feet are on the ramp. The next minute, your feet are 300 feet off the ramp, and you're climbing. But, but up, elevator up is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like riding, riding an elevator as opposed wow. to the tail of an airplane. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. And those were, those were fun. Anyways, I don't think I'm going to watch this video. I, I, it just freaks me out. I'm glad everybody came out okay, but... Uh, Holy moly! To have it on video too. Everything's on video these days, so not that surprising, I guess. But uh, I'm, I'm impressed that the guy, the the, uh, the injured uh, passenger. I'm impressed that he's like, as soon as I'm recovered, I'm going to go do it right this time, so that well, I can enjoy the flight. And you know that's the right stuff thing to say in at that moment. I, you know, after he had a chance to lie in bed and freak out about it, maybe he had a different view of it the next day. I don't know, but uh, anyways. All right, then. When my mother came to see me the day after I broke my arm in a hang gliding accident, she said, so I guess you're going to do this again when you're well. I went, oh, hell yeah. Well, I thought she said this flying stuff was safe. I said, Mom, the the flight was great, perfectly safe. Nobody got hurt. It was a sudden stop that did all the landing. It was the landing. It was the landing. It was the landing. She she didn't come back to see me for three days. <laughs> oh, your poor mother. On so many, in so many different ways, David. Your poor mother. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, one last thing on the list here, um, and I just kind of like, you know, we'll put a link in the in the show notes to, to this cool video about the aircraft carrier qualifications. I just I found this to be a a, a pleasant video. I, I didn't, you know, we see a lot of these kinds of things come up on our on our list, and and that are just kind of like weird little snippets of video. And this is kind of an interesting little mini documentary about a uh, particular group of of uh, of uh, um, I was going to say navy pilots but there's actually some marine pilots involved too um, but uh, uh, who are naval aviators let's put it that way um, getting checked out for their first time landing on the carrier and uh, it's uh, it's an interesting little video and uh, some interesting vi- visuals and, and and interviews with the pilots and with other people involved in the process. It's kind of cool. Oh, carrier uh, quals I hear are such fun. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, euphemistically speaking. Um, I, I mean, I've talked with, uh, you know, I've obviously never done it, um, but I have read about and spoken with naval aviators who describe, you know, the process of landing on a carrier as being one of the most horrifying, the frightening things that they do short of combat. And uh, um, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's quite a thing. And, uh, and this is a nice little video. This uh, um, um, I'm not sure exactly what the context of this this video is, but it's it's a Vimeo video. And, uh, this um, is where I normally say something about during the Vietnam War, um, uh, various Navy pilots were instrumented, and um, yeah. researchers discovered that their uh, vital signs peaked during uh, um, night landings on the carrier. Mm-hmm. Not when they had missiles shot at them, right? I believe that. That's what I've yeah. heard as well. Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, um, 
I mean, you think about it, it's just got to be a horrifyingly small little thing to land on. Um, and it's it, moving. And it's moving it, it's it's moving in just about every way you can imagine it moving. I mean, it's moving forward and back and side to side and, and rolling and, and pitching and, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And if it's night, you can't hardly see it. Yep. So, um, yeah, that, I've, I've huge respect. Huge respect for oh, yeah. for uh, the the uh, men and women who have done this kind of flying. Um, wow! All right, I, I don't know if it caught given our uh, um, failure to push the record button earlier, but when we er, at the top of this episode we were talking about local weather here. Yeah, um, I just want to point out the recent METAR at Sarasota's wind is three two zero at thirty gusts thirty nine. A severe thunderstorm warning, uh-huh. and my radar is showing a cell that's just 42 miles an hour uh, marching this way from over the Gulf. So, oh, cool! It, so maybe it, during it, the after show, if, if, if indeed I do drop off uh, uh, the, the grid here, um, you know, yeah, you know, maybe maybe the phone will squeal, maybe it won't. <laughs> maybe it won't. Maybe it won't. Anyways, all right. Well, anyways, uh, shout-outs. Time to wrap this thing up. What do you got? You guys look at the shout-outs, and I'm going to uh, do one little bit of podcast business here. Um, and that is just to uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, we don't have a huge number of Patreon supporters, but we do have a few, and, and we just can't thank you enough for the for the help that you provide to the podcast. Um, even those folks who provi- who, who, who uh, have pledged as little as $1 per episode um, are, are, are we're very, very grateful to um, especially in recent years as, uh, um, you know, for example, we, we've been using um, a lot of this support over the last couple of years to make it a little bit more practical for us to attend Oshkosh. Uh, for years, we were lucky enough to have a, uh, a, a gig that supported a lot of our expenses at Oshkosh, separate from the podcast, and that went away a few years ago. And so the, uh, the Patreon and the, uh, and the PayPal tip jar stuff helps us a lot with uh, uh, making it possible for us to continue to go to Sun and Fun and to Oshkosh. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if those numbers were to, to continue to grow, it, it might make it possible for us to do some other things as well. So big thank you to uh, all of our Patreon supporters. I'm not going to name any names here, um, but uh, you guys know who you folks know who you are. Um, we appreciate it. And But I did want to point out that, um, uh, or just a reminder, that anyone who supports us through Patreon at a level of $3 per episode or more also gets exclusive access to the uh, after show uh, where what will what happens is after we finish this podcast uh, we stay on the line for another 10 or 15 minutes just chatting about various things sometimes we talk about um, a continuation of a conversation during the podcast sometimes we just talk about personal stuff uh, sometimes we talk about non-aviation things we're interested in it's kind of a of a, of a potpourri a, a catch-all but uh, it's uh, just a little bit more um, and uh, we record it and package it up as a, as a way of thanking uh, folks who uh, support us at a, at a slightly higher level. So um, if you're not already, um, it would be great if you could go to patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace and consider possibly uh, supporting us with a pledge uh, of uh, anything as little as a dollar. Uh, it's easy to change it at any time, to cancel it, to uh, put limits on your uh, support, um, and it, it helps us out a lot. Thank you to everybody who does that stuff. Shoutouts. Anybody got anything? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, Dave, go ahead. Dave, you pick one. Oh, well, shout out to uh, the Blue Angels and the folks at Sun and Fun because the Blues are coming back this year. 
or well, next year, mm-hmm. uh, for the April uh, 2019 show. Yeah. April 2 through 7, come to Sun and Fun and get to see the Blue Angels as mm-hmm. up close and personal as you will anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I have I have huge respect for all of the military performance teams, um, um, but I confess the Blue Angels are my favorite. I really like the Blue Angels, um, and uh, always look forward to opportunities to see them fly. Uh, and uh, apparently, they were there at Lakeland uh, like last week or so. Um, they stopped by for a little press event and also to do some early prep for the uh, appearance, and uh, that was cool. Apparently, at least one of the Blue Angel aircraft flew in. I saw a picture. Um, so. Uh, yeah, just Blue down Angels. the road from Pensacola. I know, huh? Yeah. Have you ever been to Pensacola? Have you ever been to uh, one year a long, long time ago? Uh, so Pensacola is the home base of the Blue Angels Squadron or whatever. I Forgive me, I don't know the terminology. Um, and uh, although they do a lot of their winter training out at uh, out in the southwest, I'm blanking, El Centro, I want to say. Um, and that's where they do their first performance of the quote-unquote season. Um, the Blue Angels will conclude their performance season at something called Homecoming at Pensacola. Pensacola. And a bunch of years ago, I, uh, you know, um, scheduled my life in such a way that I could be in Pensacola for the homecoming performance. And it, it was very, very cool. Um, and an unexpected uh, a, a byproduct of that is that there is a really, really interesting Naval Aviation Museum at Pensacola yeah. um, that was very, very cool. Um, and you know something else? What's that? They have waffle houses. <laughs> they do have waffle houses. <laughs> After show, people will understand what we're talking about. Um, so, uh, yeah, Blue Angels and uh, coming to Sun and Fun. That'll be a lot of fun. That'll, that'll be great. That'll be great. What else? Jeb, you got something? Uh, yeah. I, I, this is not – I don't want to make this political because it's not political because this has been going on uh, for the last 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um uh, erection of, of TFRs when uh, the president is in a certain location, yeah. and uh, here we have one coming up for um, uh, for this Christmas holiday, w- which will be in full swing by the time uh, uh, you you hear this. Uh, presidential TFR has been has been um, uh, set uh, starts tomorrow uh, from December twenty one through January six. My calendar says that's like 16 days. Yeah. And basically that's shutting down one airport completely, probably a couple of others. Um, It's shutting down PBI. It's shutting down Lantana to GA operations because they're within that five or ten mile circle. Um, And there's just got to be a better way to do this. You'd really think there would be a better way, um, wouldn't you? You know, I mean, this was true, and you're right; it's not political because this was an issue when, when it, President it, Obama was, was in office. This was an issue with Bush, Bush the Lesser. This was a, an issue with Obama. <laughs> this is a, an issue with with Trump. Um, it's been a while, but if memory serves, um, the, uh, the operators in the D.C. area did finally get what I would call reparations. There was some money uh, that was made available to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I really think that should be um, the case. I'm sorry, I'm looking out the window here, and I'm hearing wind go over the house. And it's getting... um, 
I don't know. You're hearing a train sound? That's I'm what not they tell hearing me. a That's train what... sound, but I'm I'm looking at trees dancing. So okay. Um, well, we'll we'll hear the screech anytime. You'll now. hear the we'll screech we'll... anytime now. Um, but uh, what I was saying, uh, there's got to be a way to um, better deal with these issues, these security issues, and especially there's got to be a way to maybe compensate operators in that area when uh, mm-hmm. um, there's multi-day shutdowns like this. It's just yeah. wrong. It's just wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I wish... I don't know what the answer is, though, but because some level of security is appropriate, but, um, you know, it, it's the, the... the the Yeah, the... the I don't know what the right word is, but these smaller operators that get hurt because they get shut down for, you know. I remember President Obama used to visit Martha's Vineyard in the uh-huh, summertime, uh-huh. right? And it would wipe out a week or two of a relatively short tourist season anyways. Right. Um, and so we had a lot of uh, small uh, op, you know, aircraft, you know, tour operators and things like that that, that really got hurt. The, so, the, yeah, you're right. The DC area, nice. Yeah, the D.C. area where I was at the time, I mean, three airports especially, but several airports were affected over the long run for years yeah. uh, uh, from some of this. And uh, yeah. as I say, some of them finally did get some money out of it, but uh, certainly didn't compensate them fully for their losses and certainly didn't compensate them for for uh, the anguish and, and uh, uh, wear and tear uh, on, on uh, themselves dealing with all this. So mm-hmm. there's just, there's got to be a better way. You would think. You would think. Anything else, David? You got anything? Yeah, just a quickie. It kind of popped up on the radar. Uh, oh, gee, many within the hour, and uh, we'll give a shout out to uh, the Cessna division of Textron Aviation. They received uh, yesterday. No, sorry, today received their provisional type certificate for the Longitude Ooh, business jet, their new mid-sized jet. Uh, the uh, test items they. Flew 1,500, 1,600 flights, put over 4,000 hours on it. All the testing is done, function and reliability, the whole bit. That means they've done it with the interior and all that. Uh, and it's been it's been a long road, long road, and they've pulled it off yet again. So, nice. Congrats to the folks there in Wichita at uh, Textron Aviation. And I'll be talking to a uh, friend of mine after I get home from this trip to uh, ask him when he's going to do his first production flight test on the longitude because he's half owner of a brew pub i frequent and he's a production test pilot nice yeah well you got your connection there you're gonna get your ride sooner rather than later huh well, i doubt that through i doubt that through him he's uh not in that department but yeah it w- but it won't hurt uh-huh very cool very cool okay Time to stick a fork in it, I think. Uh, thank you, guys. It's always a blast. I enjoy getting together and chatting. Um, and uh, Jeb hasn't been blown away yet, but, but let me go to Jeb first here, just in case, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> Jeb Burnside, a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? You just got back from one of your world travels. One of my huh? world travels, yeah. I haven't been working on a whole lot of anything except licking my wounds. Uh, but while we're talking about storms, there's 20 minutes remaining in the um, severe thunderstorm warning for my for my area. And mm-hmm. looking out the window, I wouldn't want to fly in. I wouldn't want to drive in this. Really? Yeah, I really don't. There's, there's wind and, and rain just sheeting off the uh, uh, off the top of the house. Uh, um, the trees are still dancing. Uh, I can certainly hear the. 
the uh, rain on the on the the uh, sunlight. Uh, the, oh yeah, the I'm just looking at the radar. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking at the radar. Yeah. You're about to have some excitement there, aren't yeah, you? Okay, we are. So, um, so uh, well, uh, what are you working on? How's the magazine doing? Uh, I am just getting ready to uh, um, start worrying about that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to worry about worrying about it later today. If you survive the day, if, you'll if, worry if about you, the magazine. If, if I still have, you know, the phone that's not squealing, yes, that's true. Very cool. Uh, where can people find out about you and all the things you're working on on the internet? Uh, let's see. Internet. Oh, that's that's that, that, that that's that new thing we we get online with. Yeah. Um, AviationSafetyMagazine.com uh, for the magazine. Uh, other outlets uh, on which I work or uh, for which I work. AEA.net. AIN online. Uh, you'll see me on avweb.com, um, generalaviationnews.com, uh, and on the Twitter machine as Burnside J. Very cool. Very cool. And Dave Higdon. Dave's an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, you're on vacation. You working on anything? What are you doing? I'm not working on a damn thing right now. <laughs> Good for you. I love it when I hear you say that. Well, my uh, my daughter's going to stop by here in a few minutes, and uh, we're going to visit a little bit on her lunch hour. Uh, i got to return a call to uh, uh, our old friend, Zibonago friend, Steve Fuschelberger, and I'm going to meet him this afternoon. And even though I know Steve through work, we're both Hoosiers, and we get along even though he's a Purdue guy. Uh, <laughs> okay. So we're, we're just going to have a little visit and, and enjoy seeing one another in, uh, in an environment that does not involve an air show or a trade show or an aviation convention. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Sounds like fun. Where, uh, When you are working, David, where can people find out about you on the Internet? Uh, they can find me at avbuyer.com weekly on my uh, business aviation blog and, and the magazine, a couple of features a month, avionics news, aea.net. Uh, they, uh, they've uh, contributed greatly to helping me make this year much better than average. Uh, I'm real Higdon on the Twitter machine, and uh, that's where my memory stopped. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Have a lovely holiday, everybody. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Um, my big thing is just trying to get moved into this new place here in Dover. And uh, uh, because I'm too cheap to actually hire a moving van, um, I just do lots and lots of car loads and, and, and truck loads of, uh, of stuff, which I have me and a few friends carrying up the stairs. And so it's just kind of an ongoing process trying to get moved in here. Um, but uh, but I, am, I am enjoying my new digs here. And... Uh, uh, um, you know, as much as I love Lookout Point, um, I, I'm really enjoying living in a more walkable community where I can can head out to the coffee place or to the Chinese restaurant or, or whatnot. And uh, so, uh, so that's keeping me busy and uh, kind of preparing for the holidays. And then uh, hopefully after the first of the year, hit the or after, yeah, after the first of the year, hit the ground running on some new projects. So more on that later on. Um, you can find me uh, in most online places using the username Jack Hodgson, all one word. For example, YouTube.com/slash Jack Hodgson and Twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. You can find my ebooks uh, on Amazon. Search for Around the Field in the books section. And you can sign up for my email, email newsletter by going to my uh, main homepage, which is jackhodgson.com. David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Even when we're on R&R, 
we still know that time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan, which is really the explanation for why Santa has lasted as long as he has. So long. (laughs) There you go. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Happy holidays, folks.